This message entitled The Most Famous Three-Way Prayer Ever was delivered to Christ Our Rock Bible Church on March 12th, 2023 by the Reverend Roy D. Warren Jr. The scripture is John 17. Lord, we want to thank you because we know that you have every intention of making these things very clear. Just like you did throughout the season of Epiphany, you do the same in the season of Lent. You're making things conspicuous. You're making it obvious. We are going to know just who you are for absolutely for sure before we ever get there because it's all right here. And this is one of those times and one of those places. Oh, there are other ones we could look at and we uh, have done that numerous times, I suppose. But right now, we've only got a few that we can look at. We only got the time for to take a few. But this is one of them. And I do pray, dear God, that when we make our way through this chapter 17, that you will reveal and manifest yourself in a very powerful way. Hallelujah. You don't give peace like the world is looking for peace. You give a right relationship with God. That's what it is. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Pulled out my bookmark and now it's. Hold on a second. You know, I may have to skip it if I can't find it. Isn't that something? I just had it marked and now. Okay, there's one of them. Ah, there it is. I should write down the page number, don't you think? Or maybe the number of the illustration. Not just use a bookmark. Okay, well, here we go. Praise God. Bonnie Stewart of Washtenaw, Washington, tells about visiting First Assembly Congregation in Eugene, Oregon. A rather lively youngster in the front row entertained the whole congregation during the hymns and the pastoral prayer. The boys, well, I'll just be, I won't mention names, okay? But one of our kids did this when we were in other churches. I'd turn around in the pew and uh, kind of show off to everybody behind. I'm not telling you who. Anyway, so a rather lively youngster in the front row entertained the whole congregation during the hymns and during the pastoral prayer. The boy's mother, seated several rows back, tried repeatedly to get the child's attention, but she failed in every attempt. Finally, just before the sermon, she walked briskly forward, grabbing her son by the shoulder and marching him down the aisle. And with each step, the little boy dragged his heels and yelled, no, mama, no, no, mama, no. And the battle drew every eye in the church. A few, by the way, it didn't go this far <laughs> in our 
situation. But anyway, a few feet from the narthex door, the youngster, in desperation and with urgency, in his voice shouted, Oh my goodness, somebody pray! Because he was about to get it. <laughs> okay, somebody pray. Mr. Heinemann is secretary, executive secretary for the U.S. Boxing Association, or at least he was back at this time, and was attending the convention in Washington when, a heavyweight, when the heavyweight champion Joe Lewis passed away. Arrangements were made for a minister to eulogize Lewis at the convention's closing dinner. But when the time came for the eulogy, Mr. Heinemann heard the Toastmaster announce, because the gentleman who was to lead us in a tribute to Joe Lewis is unable to attend, our executive secretary, Arch Heinemann, will undertake that duty. Now, Mr. Heinemann is excellent in handling details and paperwork, but public speaking absolutely terrorized him. As he made his way to the podium, Thoughts raced through his mind, but even as he reached for the microphone, his mind was a complete blank. Suddenly, inspiration struck. Gentlemen, he solemnly said, you will all rise and join me in a minute of silence for the beloved Joe Lewis. After the minute passed, he said, thank you, and returned to his seat. Rather interesting eulogy. <laughs> A moment of silence. Prayer. Prayer. Okay, there was prayer for the youngest, namely this little boy in the front of the church. And there was prayer for the seemingly oldest Joe Lewis, or at least his family. But what about this three-way prayer that we are seeing in the scriptures here today? What are we talking about when we say it's a three-way prayer? Okay. Well, according to the Bible, the first part is the uh, son, there's a prayer here, by the son, for the Son to be glorified because he's vitally connected to the Father. Okay? And then, the second part, okay, there's prayer for the current followers of Jesus. Referring to his, uh, and current, I mean, you know, back in the days of Jesus. So we're talking about the original disciples. Okay? Lastly, Jesus prays for you and me. He prays for us. And you get the impression that Jesus makes it really clear in all of this that you don't get to pick and choose. You've got to start with God getting the glory. You go ahead and you can move through the time when the first disciples heard the first truth of, of God and the first truth of the uh, Messiah and so forth and, and be very, very thankful for their love for Jesus. But then thirdly, there's got to be prayer for the future. 
and specifically I'm talking about prayer for us because we are in the future compared to the original disciples, okay? Jesus must get the glory and then comes the original disciples being thankful for all of them and then lastly, all of us. And for the centuries before or in between the disciples and us, but also in the future. I don't know how much time is left in this time span, but you know, there's got to be a prayer for the future. All right, let me show you what I'm talking about, this time right from Scripture. If you'll turn to John chapter uh, 17. Okay, John 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Now this is Jesus speaking. This is red letter. Glorify thy son. So Jesus' praying is that the Father will glorify the son, him. That thy son also may glorify thee. So the son can turn right around and glorify the father. You see, it's a, at least a two-way street. Praise God. Amen. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. So both would be glorified, okay? Both would be glorified, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Okay, I have completed it. I have accomplished it. I have consummated it. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And verse 5 then says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So there's a recognition that the Father and the Son were together before the Son ever came down to the earth. And that glorified both of them. Okay? That's one thing. There's a note here, by the way, I thought was helpful. So let me go ahead and share it. Jesus' final prayer for his disciples. That's what this is. They're on their way to Gethsemane. <coughs> and, and Jesus knows what all is coming up. And Jesus' final prayer for his disciples in this chapter shows us our Lord's deepest desires and longings for his followers, both back then and now. See, it's, he ties it all together. It is also a spirit-inspired example of how every pastor should be praying for his people and how Christian parents should be praying for their children. In praying for those under our care, our greatest concern should be, and there are several, if you want to jot them down, you can. Number one, that they may know Jesus Christ and his word intimately. Number two, that God will keep them from the world, from, from a falling away, from Satan himself, from evil, and from false teachings. Number three, that they may 
constantly possess the joy of Christ. And four is that they may be holy in thought, deed, and character. Praise God. Number five is that they may, that they may be one. Praise God. And six, that they, might, that they may lead others to Christ. See, I think that's, that's key. This whole thing leads to us helping other people to see their need for Jesus. As they see us recognize our need for Jesus, there are going to be people that will think, huh, maybe I need him too. Is it going to be everybody we see and everybody we know? I doubt it. It hasn't been so far, but you just don't know how much God's going to do with this as time rolls along. That they may persevere, number seven, they may persevere in the faith and finally be with Christ in heaven. And the eighth thing is that they may constantly abide in the love and the presence of God. Okay? So that's the first section, that the Son would be glorified by the Father and the Father is glorified by the Son, okay? Then the middle section of this whole prayer is the second part. There must be prayer for the original disciples and especially as he's living with them. He's with them this day. He's traveling with them. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be put on a cross, he's going to suffer and die. And they need to know it. They need to know it. All right? There, mu there must be prayer for the original followers of Jesus. Okay? Someone once said, we all want to move to the top. We want to be the leader of the band. All of us, said Carl Sandburg. We want to play Hamlet. We long for the lead role in the drama of life so we can be someone, so that we can count for something. From birth, we are little bundles of ego who learn to say I before just about anything else. James and John, the biblical Sons of Thunder, that's the nickname that Jesus had for them, Sons of Thunder, wanted to be seated at Jesus' right and left-hand sides. There's one version in one of the Gospels that actually has the mother being in the middle of all of this too. I want my son to sit, one son to sit here and one son to sit over there. They were asking for places of honor and they apparently weren't too shy about asking for it and doing so. But when they did, Jesus asked them a question. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said they were. And quite frankly, they were. That's exactly what would happen. They would be part of the picture. Okay, they would have to drink that cup. They would have to be baptized with that baptism with which Jesus is baptized. They said they were. And then Jesus said, then you'll drink my cup, he told them, and receive my baptism. But the seating arrangement is not mine to determine. 
You know, you're asking for sitting here or sitting here. That's not up to me. True greatness is not about getting a great seat for the show. It's about following Jesus Christ to the limits of this life and beyond. That's really what it's all about. Are you going to go all the way with Jesus? Are you going to go all the way? Okay, that's what it's asking. All right, and beyond. It's about drinking his cup of suffering and being baptized into his death. Greatness comes through service. Living comes through surrendering life. Fact of the matter. James was the first apostle to be martyred for his faith. He followed Jesus all the way, tasting the cup of suffering, carrying the cross, and ultimately dying for his loyalty to Christ. Do you want to be great becomes the question then. Then you got to think carefully before you actually answer because there's a cost. There's a cost. And since there is a cost, and since it's such a great cost, life and death kind of issues, we've got to be very careful with this setup. Okay? So, let's look and see. Let's look and see what Jesus went on to say about it, okay? This is still chapter 17, beginning with verse 6, and it will go to 19, okay? I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me, out of, this, out of the world. He's talking to the Father. Because remember now, this is a prayer. This is a prayer by Jesus to the Father about these three things. Glorifying the name of God. Secondly, praying for his current followers. And thirdly, praying for his future followers. Okay? That's the three. Praise God. The most famous three-way prayer, I suppose, that ever was. And thou gavest them me, and they have kept my word, okay? To keep your eye on, to watch, to maintain, that's what it's talking about, okay? And when it says in top of verse 6, it says manifested, that's phanero. It's the word from which we get epiphanero, talking about epiphany, okay? Praise God. Now, verse 7, now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. In other words, I've, I've been talking with them for a long time now, Father, and they know the source. They know where this is all coming from. Okay? Verse 8, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. They have taken those words. They have actively applied them. It's not a passive thing. They have obtained. Praise the Lord. They received and have known surely that I came out from thee and they, were, they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Notice what he says here. Not praying for the world. He's praying for his people. He's praying for the church. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. 
Now, it still develops into a prayer for others because the others are going to be seeing the church. And the church is being called to live for Jesus Christ and others throughout the world are going to be seeing that. So it all, the whole thing becomes a prayer. Okay? Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's see. They are mine. Um, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. So the church is considered an extension of Christ himself. And now I am no more in the world, okay? I'm not in the world, I'm not of the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. They're still going to be living in this world. When I die on that cross, and I rise from the dead, and I ascend into heaven, I'm not going to be here. They are. My followers are. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. You know, Father, how we are one? I want them to be one. Not only with each other, but I want them to be one with me. And I want them to be one with you, Father. While I was with them in the world, I don't know if you noticed this, but there are two outs that are mentioned, okay? In verse 6 and in verse 8. After that, it's in, 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 in. There's an in in 10, there are two ins in 11. There are two more ins in 12. So he's talking about being in the Father. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that have given me, uh, have, thou hast gavest me, you gave them to me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition. Nobody's been lost except Judas, the son of perdition. Some people like to argue that Judas was okay in the end. That's not what this says. Okay? The son of perdition. And perdition is ruin, it's loss, and it's damnable. Sure went in the wrong direction, didn't he? Perdition. Apollia. It's, it's in part a, world, a word for Satan himself. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So I'm going to make sure these, I want these words still spoken in the world. Because they'll still be in the world. And they need to be encouraged with all of this. Okay. And that I will have my joy fulfilled in them, not in the world. See, a lot of people are looking for the world to just be happy, 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 you know, uh, you know, about anything or about everything. And that's not the point. The point is about Jesus and his followers. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Okay, we're, we've been in the world, but we're not of the world. 
And I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. That they, that they might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus sanctifies himself by setting himself apart to do the will of God, to die on the cross. Jesus suffered on Calvary to order that his followers might be separated from the world and set apart for God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Do you know that, do you know what eventually happens to every person who runs from God? He runs into God. Have you ever noticed that? Somehow God maneuvers the whole thing. Jesus maneuvers the whole thing that if people run, run from God, they end up running into him. And that's partially because God is just so big. You can't get around him. Okay? So he runs into God. That's because there's no place that we can go away from his presence. When Jonah ran from God, he found that God will use anything, whether it be a wind or waves or a storm or even fish, to declare his presence and his intent to restore. Years ago, a student at the University of South Carolina came to see a young pastor and sort of complained, I guess you could say, or at least made him aware, I can't find God. I can't find God. And the pastor made it clear. He says, now I'm no counselor, but I have learned that the stated problem is often not the root problem. So you say you can't find God, but there's probably another problem underneath that is stopping you from seeing God. Tell me about it. So... He invited him to open up, open up, and he did. And he told him that he grew up in a wonderful Christian home with great parents. And then he arrived at school and he turned his back on his upbringing there at the university and began to live as he pleased. He started seeing a girl with a bad reputation because he wanted to experiment sexually. We spent the night together, he said, and I thought it would be a night of unbelievable pleasure and ecstasy. But it was the most horrible, empty experience I've ever had. 
Since then, I haven't been able to find God. That's just the fact of the matter. He's just not there. And the pastor thought for a moment, and then he asked him, he says, now, take my Bible, and I want you to turn to Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8. Go ahead and read them. And when he finished, he said, your problem is not that you can't find God. It's that you can't get away from him. That's the problem for you. That's the problem for you. So then the question gets asked of all of us, are we running from God? We'll, we'll never get away from him. You'll always run right into him at every turn because he is pursuing you with a love that will never end. Why not stop running and let yourself be caught? Now, I actually, not knowing I was going to be talking about this today, Last week, I said that, um, in fact, I even shared the verses to it from Psalm 63, where it talks about, you know, you're chasing after God, according to this one verse. You're chasing after God. You're going as fast as you can. You're reaching out. You're trying to grab a hold of his, his tunic or his cloak, and you're trying to slow him down because he's way out ahead, and you're, you're just working at that. And all of a sudden, you look down, and you're standing in his hand. Work, 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 work to try to reach God and try to grab him and hold on to him. And you look down and find out you're standing in his hand. Praise God. Why not stop running? Because you're already caught, to tell you the truth. Now, you've got to surrender to that, okay? You've got to give in to all of that, but that's the point. Praise God. All right, so the first part of our prayer in 17 is about glorifying the Father and glorifying the Son, back and forth, okay? The second part of the prayer is about praying for the current disciples and and. Jesus knew they needed that. Jesus knew they needed that. And so that's part of the prayer. And he gave that part. Praise the Lord. Glory be to God. Now there's the third part though. Okay. Jesus' prayer for future followers. For you and for me. Once again, turn to chapter 17. Look at these last several verses. Starting with verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their, their word. Okay? It's not just them, but it's part of the prayer. That they may all, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Okay? True unity speaks volumes. Look at 22. And the glory 
which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So it's not just to give the, the future followers of Jesus, namely us, some kind of pat on the back and say, look how good you're doing. But notice, it mentions it back in verse 21, and it mentions it right here in verse 23, and later it will mention it in verse 25. It's for the sake of the world. Now it sounds like at first Jesus doesn't care about the world. Because he says, I don't pray for the world. I pray for you guys. <laughs> but you see, the, if you answered God's prayer for you and you live for God in this life, then that's going to be the witness to the world, to the rest of the world. So he's not, what he's saying is he's not just sitting down and focusing on praying for all these unbelievers. He's praying for the church to truly believe. And then that will be something for the world to see. Amen? Okay? I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world, this is verse 23, by the way, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, all right, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Okay? Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may be, that they may behold my glory, okay, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of what? The world. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. The world doesn't know God. Maybe they think they do, but they don't. If they did, they would surrender to him. And then, like we mentioned earlier during the children's sermon, if everybody were saved, there'd be no problems. But I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. The world should know, but they're being obstinate about it. They don't want to surrender. 26. I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Praise the Lord. Glory be to God. It seems that in so much of evangelism today, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I mean, it seems that way. All right? Why are so many what's called evangelical churches in America, why are they stagnant? Why, does, why do things, why do people, let's put it that way, it's not a matter of numbers, it's a matter of people. Why are people not moving on with the Lord? Why are more people not coming to know Jesus Christ in an ever-deepening way. If the fruits of our labors in soul winning are so lean, maybe it is time to ask, what's wrong with the harvest? All right? 
was a pastor who's from a rural background, grew up, I believe, even on a farm, or at least his grandparents had a farm, and they spent a lot of time on it. So he's got this background. He says, I can tell you when something goes wrong with the harvest, a farmer's going to do three things. Here's what the farmer's going to do. First, he'll take a look at the soil. In the case of soul harvesting, the soil is the hearts of men. Are Americans no longer interested in God? You can't make a blanket statement and say nobody cares about God. No, that's not true, okay? But why is it that in the past, you know, people were hungering for the Lord? Why in other countries, even now, third world countries, they can't wait to get to church and, and be there with each other and live for Jesus the rest of the day and the week? and the month, and the year? Are Americans no longer interested in God? Now, it would certainly seem so, considering, considering the harvest. People, I believe there are still people who are searching for depth. They're searching for meaning. They're asking religious questions. However, much of it is asking the wrong place. It's asking the wrong people. You know, it's let's go ahead and, you know, well, wow, look what's going on here with Buddhism. Look what's going on here with, you know, with Islam or, or whatever. And, you know, they're asking the wrong questions of the wrong people because these things are fake. These things are not true. Okay? Asking religious questions. I told you before the word religious is used five times in the Bible. Four of them are negative. The fifth one is to say that true religion is the caring for the orphans and the widows, okay? True religion. But other than that, the word religion is a negative thing, see? Christianity is what the church needs to be looking at and needs to be wondering about and needs to be asking questions instead of religious questions. There needs to be a real honest seeking for the things of God and exploring what God has to say, not what the whole world says, not what the other religions say. People are really going down the tubes because they are not listening to God and they are demanding that we you know, incorporate these things from this religion, incorporate these things from this religion and bring it all into Christianity and then we'll all have this great thing. no. That stuff is wrong. It's fake. It's not Christian. I mean, Buddhism has thousands of gods. How are you going to justify that with Christianity? How do you make that fit? It doesn't. Okay? And even Islam will tell you that Allah is not the same thing as Father God in Christianity. Well, if it's not, then they got a different God. Okay. The second thing a farmer with a poor crop will do, and remember we can notice three things here, but the second thing, uh, he's going he's to take a look at his seed. Was the seed bad? Our seed in evangelism is God's word. The seed is good. In fact, it is perfect. It is God's word, and there's nothing wrong with it. So perhaps we are sowing sparingly. 
or perhaps changing the seed into something else. There's a lot of people doing that. We're going to make it mean this, and we're going to make it mean that, and so forth. Or, like I said, deal with it sparingly. I remember it wasn't long ago, I went ahead and took down the trampoline, and I stuffed it into the shed, and then I decided that I wasn't going to deal with it again. So it, I found a guy that lives out by where my vet is for the dog, and I stopped, he was outside one day, and I stopped and talked to him about it. And he goes, yeah, I got, I got another trampoline over here. I can either sell it for uh, scrap or metals, or, 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 or I can sell it as a trampoline. And I said, well, it, all, it still works, you know, it's just not being used. So, um, I, I, so I, he said, well, just, uh, he says, I'll come out and get it. And, but he, he was a little bit iffy on that. He said, I'll come out and get it, you know. He didn't really want to, but, you know, for what he's going to get out of it, he didn't really want to. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'm coming out all this week. i got to come out every day <laughs> to go to the vet. I'll make sure I bring it out. So I did, not on the day I thought, but anyway, I did bring it out, and, and he wasn't home. And he said, well, don't worry about that. Just go ahead and pile it up on this wagon. So I piled everything up on the wagon, and and took off. I see it's, as I drive past now, it's not, it's not there. But I'm not talking about his experience with the trampoline. I'm talking about that I don't have it there in my yard anymore, which means I have a nice big circle of dirt, <laughs> okay? Uh, uh, there's no, nothing really growing there because it hadn't it'd been under the trampoline and it's not growing, okay? So I had some seed. So I took this seed and I sowed it. I threw it out over the thing. Now, I felt while I was doing it that I didn't really have enough to do it right. And that's what this is talking about. If you sow sparingly, if you just got a little bit of seed, a little bit of God's word, okay, you throw it out and, oh, yeah, some plants will come up maybe and, and so forth, but, you know, you need more. So it wasn't long after that that I spotted some more seed over at Walmart, got another bag of the same stuff. I use it over here on Cindy's grave and other graves that are nearby to spruce them up a little bit and so forth. And uh, anyway, so I, uh, I have that. I don't think I spread out anymore. I'm waiting till it's more springish. <laughs> and then I'm going to go ahead and sow completely, okay? More seed, more seed, more seed. Praise God. You can't expect the seed to come up while the ground is still frozen. Okay? You, gotta, you need to wait. You know? I mean, the seed will still sit there. It'll stay there. And then when it gets warmer, it'll start to grow. It does. You could put seed on there in the fall, even before winter, and it'll come up in the spring. All right? But I put, I'm going to go ahead and put more seed on there. And that won't be as sparingly as it once was. The Bible says that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. That is, you put a few things of seed down, and that's all you're going to get. You're going to get a little bit of grass. And if you sow abundantly, you're going to reap abundantly. So, are we sowing mingled seed would be another option that this could be. The Bible mixed with social ethics or psychology or anything else is rendered less effective by the mingling. It's not the true word of God. You've incorporated the ways of the world in with the seed and it's not going to be the same thing. Okay? If the soil is good and the seed is good, 
the farmer will end up having to look to himself. What's wrong with what I did? What's wrong with the way I sowed? What's wrong with the way I'm, I'm doing any of this? He looks to himself. That's got to be, you know, if, you, if it's nothing else, what about me? What about me? You and I are also sowers, according to the scriptures, not workers, sowers. The sowers, along with Jesus, of course, because, well, he's the seed. <laughs> Praise God. His word is the seed, and, and away it goes, okay? And the sowers scatter seed until you and I want our friends, watch this, until we truly do want our friends and our neighbors, okay, and family members to know Christ more than anything else. Until that becomes our passion and our focus, we cannot expect any kind of rich and bountiful harvest. When you really want people to come to know God, then you'll do it the way God says to do it. Amen? And you'll be anxiously waiting to see that spring up. Praise the Lord. So how are we doing at scattering seed? We need to be out there. I, you know, it's one thing that bothers me about not having these, you know, these newsletters. This is seed. This is God's word. And it needs to go out. And, you know, and to get it in people's hands. And we can go ahead and send old ones out, but it's just, it, to me, it's, it's not the same. And so, you know, we, we've got to, you know, get God's truth out there. But it's not just by a piece of paper. It's by what's in your heart. You go out there and start living for Jesus Christ and let people see you do it. Let people see how it changes you on the inside. Praise the Lord. And, and so what does it call for? It calls for prayer, prayer, and prayer. Pray, pray, and pray. You know, there's one um, insurance commercial that says, yeah, there's three things involved here, and they all start with P. They all start with P? What do you mean by that? Well, they all start with P. There's price, price, and price. Like, it's the only thing to think about, the only thing to talk about. It's how much it costs, how much you can afford it, and so forth and so on. No, I'm talking about prayer, prayer, and prayer. Amen? The three Ps. Okay? I should drop that guy a note sometime and say, why don't you change your, you know, what those letters represent, you know? <laughs> pray, pray, and pray. You can take a look at the harvest. You can take a look at the seed. You can take a look at the sower. You can take a look at all the aspects of it. But there's got to be, there's got to be a recognition that it's got to come from God's heart and it's got to come into their heart. But they don't give a hoot what you think about anything unless they see it in your life. And when they see that, and that's why I say it's so important that we live for Jesus, that we go from this building right here, we go out there and we live for Jesus today, tomorrow, the next day, and so forth. Praise the Lord. Amen? That the most famous three-way prayer is certainly right here in chapter 17. Okay? It's the most famous. It's not that it's the only one. There are all kinds of places of prayer throughout the scriptures. Praise the Lord. But I think it's probably the most famous one. Three of them, praise God. For the prayer to be glorified, prayer for the disciples, and prayer for future believers, which includes 
us. Amen? Now that was an amen. It was an obvious question. It had one of those question mark things at the end of it. Amen? Amen. I'm giving you the truth, people. Seriously. And we need to let that be the life that's lived within us. Amen? That's what people are going to see. And that's how people are going to even come close to wanting it. They see you living something different from what this is all about. There's no attraction. There's no attraction. So we just need to come and say, God, deal with my heart. Deal with my heart. Deal with the seed I'm using. Deal with the way I'm sowing. Deal with all of it. Okay? Because God knows. God knows. He wants to draw many, many people to see him in a very powerful way. Praise the Lord. And, and current, uh, current 2,000 years ago disciples, but also current disciples here today. Okay? For the future. Praise the Lord. And what did it, what did it do? Well, it was, it was us living for God, but it would not only be a strong, strong picture for the, um, for the church, but according to the scripture here, it's a strong picture for the world. The world needs to see that the church really does believe what it says it believes. Okay? And go out from there. Glory to God. Amen? Amen? Praise God. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We know, dear God, that this is your heart and you are looking for us to, to truly live for you in a very powerful and real way. We thank you, Lord, and we know, dear God, that you have a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. You are so merciful, so gracious, so loving. Hallelujah. And so here we are. And here you are. And we just pray, dear God, take us forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God.